Hello and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel. This is Season 2, Episode 15. It is January 4th, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you're enjoying your first three days of the new year. Well, four, including today. I have to do this episode because I feel like what I'm about to say could change people's lives because the person I'm about to talk about is the most misunderstood, well-known person in history, and that would be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, first thing I want to say is Jesus is not a religion. And when I first heard that, that kind of blew me away because you always associate Jesus with a religion, right? Um, But no, if you really truly get to know Jesus and read the Bible for yourself, then you will learn that Jesus was actually killed by the religious people. He is not a religion. He's a person. Um, And let's talk about that. Okay. So who is Jesus? Um, I want to start with this fun fact that most people probably don't know. Jesus's blood was discovered after the crucifixion. And not only that, it was tested. And the person that found this also found the Ark of the Covenant. And his name is Ron Wyatt. He's since passed, long past. Um, He has videos on YouTube. I found him years back and his testimony blew me away. And it's really sad that it hasn't been told publicly or he's been discredited as not being true because it's true. There's facts. And you you can tell the heart of people. I can anyways when they're lying and when they're not. And when it comes to Jesus, this man was very blessed. God showed him where Noah's Ark was. He um, showed him where the Red Sea was split and he found parts of chariot wheels, um, things like that, that were um, in the Red Sea from when the pharaohs and everybody were drowned. And the day he found those articles, he got very, very sunburned. And so he was hanging out the next day because he couldn't go diving again. And God showed him, basically, I'll let him tell you in his words, where Jesus was crucified. And if you read the Bible, when Jesus was crucified, the earth shook and went dark. And it says that they pierced his side and out came blood and water. What is so cool is that blood went down and landed on what's called the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant is what a lot of people know it as. And when Ron Wyatt found this Ark of the Covenant and Jesus's blood on it, think about one, he passed out. He he says that he passed out, but um, he was able to collect that blood, take it to a lab in Jerusalem. And it was, um, it was checked. It's amazing. And I'm going to play the story for you here in a second, but from his voice, from his words. But um, what's also so cool about that is that Ark of the Covenant, and I'm telling, I'm going to tell this like people have never read the Bible, uh, was used in the Old Testament basically to carry around the glory of God. And people knew it was powerful. The giants knew, everyone knew. And um, they would do, they would sprinkle their their sacrifices on it, Right. So they take the blood and sacrifice it on this, um, sprinkle it on this Ark of the Covenant. Well, when Jesus came and died for our sins, his blood took the place of those sacrifices. So the sacrifices no longer had to be because he was the sacrifice. And 
I just, I find that amazing. But what I find the most amazing is how detailed God is in his word. And real quick, before I play Ron Wyatt's story, you got to know this about the Bible. The Bible that we have, the King James Bible in America, is only 66 books. And one that number 66 is a very satanic number. And I'm going to get into that as well, Satan, because I feel like Satan is misunderstood and Jesus is misunderstood. But every Satanist that worships Satan as their God knows God is real. And they know the scriptures better than Christians. And so once we realize that there literally is this fight, just like all the cartoons we've ever seen in our lives of good and evil and good always wins, then you get to pick a side and you get to live on that side and you, you get to go to eternity with your soul on that side. And if you don't believe there's a heaven or hell, I highly, highly suggest you listen to stories of people who have been there. People who have been to heaven, people who have been to hell, and came back to tell their story. And they're on YouTube too. They're probably on Rumble or wherever you can listen to people share their stories, probably even on podcasts, I'm sure. Um, and they're amazing. There's books about it. And they're real places and they're eternal. And so I feel it's, this podcast is so important because your soul will either reject this or want to hear more, you know? Because I, I've I've learned that with Jesus. So I've tried to tell people that were my best friends about Jesus and completely got pretty much yelled at. Like, I don't want to hear about this guy or he's not even real, somebody told me once. I'm like, yeah, no, he really was on this earth, like for reals. So, you know, there's a lot of confusion about Jesus. And the, another horrible, horrible thing I feel about his, his name is it's used to, to hurt people. And so people were... I've heard this story a million times, grew up in churches. A lot of people grew up in churches and that's where they learned to not love God anymore because everybody that said they loved Jesus was a hypocrite or a child abuser or they, they were all good at church, but at home they were the most evil, vile person on the planet. And that's unfortunately made people turn away from Jesus because religion, you know, and so that's why I really think we need to identify that Jesus is not a religion and that those 66 books in the Bible, there's many missing. And if you actually read the Bible, it tells you the books that are missing. And I've started to read those books. Um, Jasher was the first one I read and it blew my mind because it put all these pieces together. I just finished this one book. It's called The Book of Adam and Eve, and it was um, translated from Arabic and it blew my mind and I'm going to share you share with you a parts of it today too. But let's start first with Ron Wyatt and his story about finding and testing Jesus's blood because this is incredible and more people need to know about this. So let's start there and then we will continue on with um, more about Jesus's life, more about why he even came to this earth and how, you know, I, I myself was just praying about, you God, show, show me more about the difference between, you know, you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, because they say it's a three in one. And right away when I prayed that, the first thing that came to my heart was we are made in God's image and we are three in one. We are body, mind, and soul. And so I kind of look at, at God like that, you know, God 
created us because he loves us and he created us in his image and he created us to live in this garden of Eden that's beautiful and just to commune with him and not work and just like enjoy this earth. But he knew that he didn't want robots. So he created mankind with free will. And that's something I will be reading you uh, in this book because I find it so interesting how God um, talked to Adam and Eve after they left the garden and explained to them why he gave them that free will. So let's start here with Ron Riot. Here he comes. This mercy seat was the earthly throne of God, and it still is, and the Shekinah glory dwelt there for hundreds and hundreds of years until the Jews became so rebellious and paganistic that God decided he wouldn't dwell among them anymore. We may take a look at that in a little bit. But anyway, that is what the mercy seat is all about. Now, back in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army came down, destroyed Jerusalem, and in 1 Kings chapter 25, there's a list of things they carried off from the temple. Missing from that list is the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the menorah or the candlestick, the golden altar of incense, and the large golden censer that the high priest put uh, spices in and burned them uh, when he went into the most holy place. We found all of those, I found all of those in this chamber with the Ark of the Covenant, the whole, all of those things mentioned that were not on the list that went to Babylon. And in Ezra, there's a list of things that Darius sent back, the Persian king, and uh, it's identical to the one in Second King, or First Kings uh, 25. So anyway, the uh, what this statement is saying is that something went on the earthly throne of God. Now, Jeremiah or somebody was directed by God to carry the Ark of the Covenant out of Jerusalem before it got destroyed and hide it in this chamber where I found it, which was right below the crucifixion site. Now, it was placed there 600 years before Christ was crucified. You remember my friend Marty Plott mentioned that this pathway was created across the sea at some time before the waters were parted. God does things ahead of time. He has it all worked out, all on schedule. And so anyway, the Ark of the Covenant was placed there. Now, <clears throat> what does anointing oil represent? In my opinion, it represents two things, all right? Number one, it represents the blood of Jesus. Secondly, it represents the Holy Spirit. Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit. It descended on him in the form of a dove. You remember God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present at that one occasion, at that one spot. So anyway, 
We would not have access to the Holy Spirit were it not for the blood of Jesus. God would not have anything to do with any of us. So what that scripture is plainly stating is that the blood of Jesus was to fall upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And it's the, the end of a verse that tells what all the Messiah was to accomplish while he was here on earth. Now, let's have a look in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 53. It says, When Christ had cried again, he died. The veil of the temple was written half from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were rent. Then it goes on to say the graves were opened, and many of the saints that were asleep arose. When he arose, they arose, went into the holy city, and were seen of many. Now what's all this people coming up from the dead? What's that all about? We'll deal with that in just a minute. Anyway, when the rocks were rent, an earthquake fault line split right down the Calvary escarpment right past the left side of the cross and into the chamber which is separated by the, from the base of the cross by 20 feet of solid limestone. This crack opened up. When the centurion was ordered by Pilate to make sure Christ was dead before he gave his body to Joseph of Arimathea who had requested that he be able to take the body and, and bury Christ. When the Roman centurion stuck his spear in Christ's left side, rupturing the spleen and quite possibly the left ventricle of the heart, which are the two largest chambers in, in the body, or in the circulatory system, and the spear was extracted. The serum and platelets gushed out and went down through the crack onto the mercy seat. Now that fulfilled that prophecy in Daniel 9.24. All right, let me share some more verses with you. Let's have a look at 1 John chapters, chapter 5, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Verse 6, it says, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, Who came by water and by blood? Not by water only, but by water and by blood. John wanted that perfectly understood. And then in verse 7, it says, There are three that keep record in heaven. God the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. All right. Now there's people among us that want us to believe that there's one being up there. That's it. Has three different manifestations, but just one of them. That's uh, a popular concept. However, in John chapter 17, this is St. John, uh, or the Gospel of John, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, Father, that they might be one, even as you and I are one. Now, if Christ and God is one being, Christ was asking his fathers to make all of his disciples into one big blob of flesh. So, you see, there are three 
in heaven. <coughs> now, <coughs> in verse 8, it says, There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. The spirit, the water, and the blood. That is the dried serum, the dried platelets of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that fell upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant on the occasion of his crucifixion. As presented to the human mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, if you receive the witness of man, in other words, if you believe what men say, the witness of God is greater. And this, referring to the water and the blood presented by the power of the Holy Spirit, is his witness and testimony of his son. Now, we've all seen the O.J. Simpson trial. We've seen a lot of other trials. <coughs> we have learned that a witness is somebody who's supposed to have pertinent information on whatever's on trial. We've also learned that that's not always the case because they're lying witnesses. But anyway, the witness is a person that offers a testimony. So God the Father is the witness in this case. His testimony is the blood and the water, or the, right, the water and the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant as presented through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if somebody just stands up and rattles it off to you, you haven't had the witness of God. The Holy Spirit has to be there to convince the heart, convict the heart, you see. And so a witness presents his testimony. The testimony becomes evidence. Evidence is proof. We're using synonyms here, all right? So what this is saying, that the proof that God the Father will present in this earth is the water and the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when is that to happen? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, There is one Lord, one God, one Mediator, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In other words, the proof is to be given when it comes up on God's clock, on his schedule. And so anyway, along with all of the other things that God is bringing out 
of his storehouse at this time to get our attention. He's got mine, and I believe he has most of yours. The whole object, the, the shall we say, the crowning jewel of all of that is the blood of his son on the mercy seat of his earthly throne because that's the heart and soul of the plan of salvation. We have presented more than adequate evidence on everything else. On this, the Israeli government has said you can tell your story, but don't show any physical evidence until we can work out some way of presenting this without causing a bloodbath because the Jewish people, if they knew the Ark of the Covenant was available, would go down and blow up the mosque off the Temple Mount, start building a temple for the Ark of the Covenant and the Muslims, because that's the third most sacred site in Islam, would take a violent exception to that act, and there'd be a bloodbath. Now, my understanding is that today, a large stone dubbed the first stone of the third temple was to be taken down by the wailing wall and placed at the base of the wailing wall. I haven't heard any news, so I don't know if they did it. What happened if they did? But on two other occasions, one in 1985, they had a riot, had to tear gas everybody to sort them out to keep them from killing each other. In 1991, when all of the Muslim states, or most all of them, were cooperating with the West to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. But anyway, I have been told that I can't show physical proof. Now ordinarily, see I do have a bit of pride. Ordinarily I don't say anything without I can prove it because it's rather embarrassing to make a statement and somebody say, well, can you show me some evidence? And I can't. I don't like that situation, and I avoid it like the plague. But I believe that this is an important enough issue to share uh, for this reason. God didn't help me find this find the blood of Christ on the mercy seat, have it analyzed, see the uniqueness of it, just for my benefit. Right? Now, what did all of this gain for, for us? What did his death and his blood being spilled on that mercy seat to ratify the old covenant and the new covenant, what did that do for us? The earth shook, the rocks were rent, and the graves were opened. All right? Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 26, 19. Very unusual statement. It says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that sleep in the dust. For your dew shall be as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out her dead. God prophesied that. It happened. 
when Christ was resurrected, many of the saints who had died under the blood sacrifice system, who had participated in honesty, were resurrected with him and went into the city and were seen of many. They were referred to as the first fruits, part of the first fruits. Christ was uh, the leader of that group. Now in Ephesians, it says when he ascended on high, and you're going to have to look this one up, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Well, you see, before Christ died, everybody that was dead were the lawful captives of Satan because they had sinned, they were dead, they had not been redeemed, they had not been bought and paid for until the blood of Christ fell on the mercy seat. At that point, they were. Uh, normally, crucifixions didn't involve a whole lot of blood. You know, that's, that's right. You know, this man apparently studied crucifixions. However, it is stated that they wanted to make sure Christ was dead, so they stuck the spear in. And the blood of the Lord gushed out. So this was a bloody one. Now, how do I know it's Christ's blood? You remember 1 John 5, 9? This is God the Father's proof to us that his son died for us. It's not ordinary blood, folks. It has 24 chromosomes only. All of us here have 46. Unless, you know, we have, there's a couple of genetic uh, anomalies that make that different. But Christ received 23 from his mother and one Y, sex determining factor from his father who was not a human father. Because had he received that from a human father, it would have been accompanied by 22 autosomes. Now what this basically means is that his height, his eye color, his hair color, and all of this was supplied from the genes of his mother's gene pool. However, Mary and Joseph both descended from David. Uh, but none of us have 24 chromosomes. And there's a, something else. The Bible says, you will not leave my soul in hell, nor allow my body to see corruption. The blood of Christ is only dried out, folks. It's not dead. When we rehydrated it with normal saline, 72 hours of body temperature with slight, very gentle swirling, and put the white blood cells in a growth medium, 48 hours later, we did a chromosome count. I didn't. I have people who are experts at that sort of thing to do these things for me. They asked me, where did you get this blood? Whose blood is this? This was in Israel. And I said, it's the blood of your Messiah. I never saw people go into such a state of shock and fits and everything else as those people went into. I said, that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, they knew, and they told me before I asked them to, when I asked them to perform this investigation, 
that died dried blood up. You can't get a chromosome count on it because the white blood cells have to be alive and well in order to do that. You can get DNA, you can get some other things, but you can't have a chromosome count. So this blood is unique, and it is Christ's blood. And that's why God the Father says it's His evidence or proof to us that His Son died. Now, you will get to see that on video, right? Tables of stone, you get to see in person if you're willing to travel a reasonable distance. I may be able to bring it here. We'll just have to see. All right, hey, I saw somebody else's hand back there. Yes? There was an inscription, really, as to where the tables of stone found in the Ark of the Covenant uh, being discovered. Okay, were the tables of stone found in the Ark of the Covenant? And then that's the end of your question. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, the tables of stone were found in the Ark of the Covenant. I personally, personally removed them with the assistance of four angels who lived in the mercy seat, which I would estimate weighs about 900 pounds of solid gold. And one of these angels told me to take the tables of stone out of there. He said God wants everyone to see those. And so I took them out, backed up, stood there, frozen in place, and, well, I just can't describe my physical state or mental state or anything else. If, if, you know, I didn't have some physical evidence to prove it happened, I think I had a dream or something. But anyway, they are now available to be shown, but we won't say uh, actually, they're on a stone ledge right in the same chamber. That's where the angel put them after I handed them to him. I didn't know what to do with them. And uh, I was told that these are to be presented with the blood evidence when the mark of the beast law is passed or enforced. Now, I know everybody wonders about what it is, the mark of the beast. You've heard all kinds of rumors, stories, and all of this. I'll tell you quick and simple. If you keep the Ten Commandments that God wrote upon those tables of stone, and about which he says in Psalms 89, 34, those of you that are writing down text, you'll want this one. Psalms 89, 34. He says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. He spoke the Ten Commandments from the mountaintop. He rolled them in stone, and he says, Nothing will change. Right? If you keep that law, you will receive the seal of God. Soon there will be a set of man-made laws best intentions surrounded by a barrage of salubrious soliloquies and sepulchral solicitudes. That's all kinds of stories and all of this instigated by the devil to make you think that this is the best thing that ever happened to the human race and that you could just want to go along with it voluntarily. <clears throat> These man-made laws will require that you break God's Ten Commandments. Christ
Christ said of the Pharisees, For it is in vain that they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If you keep those man-made laws and break God's Ten Commandments, you will receive the mark of the beast. Nobody has the mark of the beast at this point in time. You can only get it after that those laws are enforced. Right? It's not going to be a stamp on your hand or a brand in your forehead or an implant, none of that stuff. You're just going to have to say, okay, I'll keep those laws. That way you get a card that will enable you to do your shopping, withdraw your money and all of that. If you refuse to keep those laws, you won't be able to buy or sell. You don't get a card. Now, is that hard? When a bunch of man-made laws are passed and enforced that require you to break God's Ten Commandments, the penalty for not keeping those laws is that you cannot buy or sell. That is the mark of the beast. I didn't intend to play that much of Ron Wyatt, but I just couldn't stop listening to him. So I hope you enjoyed that section. Um, I was a, I'll, I'll put the whole, I think it's about an hour and a half um, in the description box if you want to check that out. But he's just awesome. He's so amazing. A little more to his story um, that he tells. I, I don't know if it was in this interview or a different interview, but he talks about the day he found that he had been digging for a while and he's about to give up and out of money and everything and he had this little guy who was much smaller than him looking in little crevices for him and when he um found where the ark was this guy just like flew out of there he and he didn't know what was going on so he's like hmm so he ends up looking where that guy was flew out you know and that's where he found the ark of the covenant he also said he recorded all of it so you know when um the mark the mark of the beast comes and we all get to see this finally. Um, it, it's going to be incredible. It's what a time we're in. Wow. It's crazy too, because a lot of people think that the mark of the beast is, is coming pretty close. And I think we're still a little bit away from it, but who knows? God knows it's his perfect plan, not mine. Um, but that will be crazy not to be able to buy, sell and trade just because we want to keep God's law. And we saw a little taste of that with COVID because I didn't wear a mask and I was chastised, recorded. I didn't get vaccinated and I couldn't even go practice yoga where I used to teach because they were asking for your vaccine cards. It was absolutely insane what people did to other people during this time to make them comply with the B system. And I told my mom, you know, wearing a mask to me was like taking the mark of the beast. But now it's going to be interesting because a lot of people that I didn't think would have took the mark of the beast, quote unquote, did. And so it will be interesting to see when the real, like, I believe this was like a precursor to wake the church up. Another thing about church is in the Bible, church was a gathering of people who talked about Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, when all the Christians came around that's in Antioch. If you've never heard this, they were like, what do we call these people of the way? And they started calling them Christians. And, um, it, it was kind of a derogatory term really. And, um, church has been be decided. It was funny to me because I've always been like, we just take Jesus and do what we want with them. When really he tells us 
what he is. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one's going to get to heaven except through him. Uh, two or more talking and, and learning about scriptures is the church. And then we got these buildings and religion. And I don't think Jesus wants anything to do with a building and religion. Okay, so before I get my episode too long, I like to keep them under 40 minutes if possible, and we're already getting close. So uh, this is The Book of Adam and Eve by R.H. Charles, or illustrated by R.H. Charles, it says. Uh, illustrated edition, R.H. Charles. Okay, so anyways, there's a part where it talks about Adam and Eve, and they just left the garden. And the Bible kind of makes us... Uh, not realize what they went through when they got kicked out of the garden because they were devastated. Can you imagine seeing the angels worshiping God, being so full of light that you don't even know it's dark outside. Everything around you is beautiful. You're not scared of anything to complete fear, terror, uh, not understanding this foreign land, the light and brightness was taken away from them and they, you know, were for the first time in darkness. They didn't understand night. They didn't understand day. They didn't, they didn't even understand how to eat. You know what I mean? Cause they're, they were spiritually full. And so in this prophecy, um, it says, and this is God talking to Adam for, I made you out of light and I willed to bring out children of light from you and like unto you, but you did not keep one day my commandment until I had finished the creation and blessing everything in it. Then I commanded you concerning the tree that you not eat of it. Yet Satan, yet I knew that Satan who deceived himself would also deceive you. So I made known to, and it says thee instead of you, but I'm not saying that thee. So I made known to you by the means of the tree, not to come near him. And I told you not to eat of the fruit thereof, nor taste of it nor yet to sit under it, nor yet to yield to it. Had I not spoken to you, O Adam, concerning the tree, had I left you without a commandment, and you had sinned, it would have been an, off an offense on my part for not having given you any order. Thou would turn around and blame me for it. But I commanded you and warned you, and you did fall, so that many creatures cannot blame me, but must the blame rest on them alone." And, O oh Adam, I have made the day for you and thy children after you for them to work and toil therein. And I have made their night to rest in from their work and the beasts of the field to go forth at night to seek their food. But little darkness now remains, O oh Adam, and daylight will soon appear. Then Adam said to God, Take my soul and let me not see this gloom anymore and remove me to some place where there is no darkness. But God said to Adam, Verily I say to you, this darkness will pass from you. Every day I have de determined for you until the fulfillment of my covenant, when I shall save you and bring you back, back again to the garden, into the abode of light you long for, where there is no darkness, and I will bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And again God said to Adam, All this misery that you have been made to take upon because of your transgression will not free you from the hand of Satan, and it will not save you, but I will. When I will come down from heaven and shall become flesh of thy seed and take upon me the infirmity from which you suffer, then the darkness that came upon you in the cave shall come upon me in the grave when I am flesh of your seed, of thy seed. And I, who am without years, will be subject to reckoning of years, of time, of months, and days, and I shall be reckoned as one of the sons of men in order to save thee 
and Adam ceased, and God ceased to commune with Adam. And Adam and Eve wept and sorrowed by reason of God's word to them, that they should not return to the garden until the fulfillment of the days decreed upon them, but mostly because God had told them that he should suffer for their salvation. Man, what they went through, you guys, we don't under, we truly understand because we are not, we're not left with, with that full addition. Um, another thing I want to talk about real quick, because right now I believe Satan is trying so hard to take over this earth and to confuse people and their gender and everything else and their sexualities and all the things that God thinks are good. You know, he loves children. And, and if you don't know anything about satanic ritual abuse, they start when babies are sometimes in the womb and they, Satan wants to hurt the children. He wants to kill the children and he wants them to be they want, he wants a world of suffering people. He does not want people whole connected to God. He does not want people to know God. And another thing about Satan is he wasn't a serpent. He came in to a serpent. And this book talks about that. And that's one more thing I'm going to read in this book about the weakness of Satan, but how he may seem powerful because he comes in many shapes and forms. He inhabits what he can. And, uh, unfortunately a lot of people are like, yeah, it's almost like God has the Holy spirit. Satan has an evil spirit and a lot of people welcome it in them and don't even think twice about it. Okay. So this last story I'm going to read you guys out of this book that I've been reading out of today is one, um, shortly after Adam and Eve fell out of, um, the garden, they were set about 45 feet away into a cave. So they're in this cave and they're praying and praying and feeling bad and crying and Satan's still after them. So it says, when Satan, the hater of all good, saw how they continued in prayer and how God communed with them and comforted them and how he accepted their offering, Satan made apparition. He began with transforming his hosts in his hands with flashing fire and they were a great light. He then placed his throne near the mouth of the cave because he could not enter into it by reason of their prayer. And he shed light into the cave until the cave, until the cave glistened over Adam and Eve with his hosts and began to sing praises. So Adam and Eve get really confused. They're like, what's going on? Adam prays, is this you, God, or what is going on? And it says, no sooner than Adam had said this, than an angel of God appeared to him in the cave and said to him, oh, Adam, fear not. This is Satan and his host. He wishes to deceive you as he deceived you at first. For the first time he had he was a hidden in a serpent, but this time he has come to you in a similitude of an angel of light in order that when you worship him, he might enthrall you in every, in, oh, sorry, enthrall you even in the very presence of God. And I'm going to say that is Satan's biggest joy. The hater of all good, the hater of God's creation is to deceive God's children and what a better way to do it than tell people you can be like God, because that's exactly what he did in the garden. And guess what they teach you in yoga? You can be like God. You are a God. Sorry, guys, you're not a God. You can have God inside of you if you ask Jesus in your life and your heart, but you are not a God. You, you cannot create unless God puts a baby inside of you and then you have God's creation. It's a beautiful thing. God also gives the ability to be creators as far as, you know, writers, writers, artists, podcasters, things like that. But I also do believe those are gifts that God gives us 
and, you know, a fire or a desire to do so. Um, but as far as creating, you know, the heavens and the earth and dogs and cats and humans and ants and butterflies and birds, and you can't do it. And mankind sure are trying, aren't they? Have you guys seen that? They're trying, I think they're opening a whole place, and I believe it's in another country, where you can, uh, they're making babies, artificial wombs. How crazy horrible is that? I mean, that's, God didn't put a soul in those babies, in my opinion. So what, what are they creating? Monsters? It's pretty sketch. I really pray to God against all these plans of the enemy because we know what's going to happen, right? It's going to be the mark of the beast someday. But before that, God's people have to wake up, stand up and know that they're God's people and, and draw the line. Because right now I think so many people are like, oh, God's not real. Well, Satan is. So what makes you think God isn't, you know? And what's crazy to me is the Satanists know how to use that power that Satan has, which is minimal. Because let me get down here where it says, and the angel said to Adam, oh, then the angel went from Adam, seized Satan at the opening of the cave and stripped him of the fate that he assumed, F-E-I-N-T, that he assumed and brought him in his own hideous form to Adam and Eve, who were afraid when they saw him. And the angel said to Adam, this hideous form has been ever since God made him fall from heaven. He could not have come near you in it. Therefore, he transformed himself into an angel of light. So it Satan is a spirit being an angel that has fallen. He has hosts with him. And I'm going to end this right now with reading you what this says in the book of Enoch about these spirits and what they are here for. And that you have so much power in God and Jesus. And it's amazing. And Jesus was real. And he really came to show the world since the beginning of time, you guys, since the beginning of time, God's had a plan and he's executed that plan. And you can see it throughout history. And it's amazing. And Jesus is part of that plan. He is salvation. He is, as Ron said, the, the blood covenant on earth. Okay, so when Satan fell from heaven, so did many of his hosts. Many of his hosts started lusting after women. So again, God created each being, a dog to be with dogs, cats to be with cats, humans to be with humans, and not to crossbreed, right? Same thing with angels. But everything and everybody has a choice to make in this life. These angels, one, chose to leave heaven, but not only did they choose to leave heaven, they chose to... Um, be with women. And so God said, I have not, you were formerly spiritual, living the eternal life and immortal for all generations of the world. Therefore, I have not appointed you wives for you. You are spiritual beings in heaven and in heaven was your dwelling place. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits on earth. And shall live on earth. Evil spirits have come out from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers. Their beginnings of a primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth and evil spirits they shall be called spirits of the evil ones. As for the spirits of heaven and heaven shall be their dwelling. But as for the spirits of earth which were born on earth and on earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy attack, war, destroy, and cause trouble on earth. 
They take no food, but do not hunger or thirst. They cause offense, but are not observed. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women, because they have produced from them in the days of slaughter and destruction. That is out of the book of Enoch. And you might have heard my baby a couple times there because she just woke up from her nap and I was holding her. Um, I was going to edit it and I'm like, no, that's cute. Babies are cute and they're perfect and they're awesome. And so anyways, um, all this to say that the Bible, I truly, truly feel for many reasons has been taken out of schools because they don't want kids to know the truth. They want to fill them with lies, the NASA lies. I did a podcast about that. The, um, you know, we read the Bible, nowhere does it say we float. Nowhere. We are on a solid surface. We're called the face of the earth. The flatter thing is just a distraction. It's so annoying. I can't wait till God starts to reveal the truth. And it's all written down for us for the beginning to the end. And it's so funny how so many people have the manual of life sitting on their cupboards or in their cupboards or on their shelves and haven't dusted it off because they haven't needed it. Well, I'll tell you what, the time is getting to the point where you're going to need to pick a side. And the time is now, in my opinion. So with that, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for telling us about Jesus and for having a plan for when Adam and Eve chose to fall. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our children and our children's children and the blessings you're going to pour upon them as we fight this good fight to not let the mark of the beast happen because it's going to happen, Lord, but not on our watch. We are a precious generation here to bring in the harvest. And I start, I'm finally understanding that, Lord. I understand this finally. Help me to continue to understand. Help the people who listen to have that desire to know you and understand and to know that you are not a religion. You are a relationship. You are love. You are all the things good and anything bad is not of you, Lord. It is not of you. And let those people be free from the lies that Satan has told them their whole lives about Jesus, your son. Thank you so much for being God. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for wanting to learn about Jesus. And all you got to do is ask him in your life and heart and soul and mean it and everything will change.